This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Laura. Welcome, Laura. So good to have you. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. That's great. So why don't you um, take me back to kind of the early days, maybe your first drink or... Well, um, I'll say that, you know, I was one of those kids that has my first pictures with my first sips of beer because it was so cute, dressed in my lederhosen in Wisconsin at the Oktoberfest parade. So I definitely had my first sips when I was like a baby. <laughs> and I was raised in a culture where people drank a lot because it was Wisconsin and it was just part of the fun of being from Wisconsin was that you got to drink a lot of beer. And, and you're like baby, like baby, like four or... Sure. I mean, it was one of those things too. If I was helping my dad with yard work and he needed a beer after he mowed the lawn, I could have the first sip if I went and got the beer. Just totally. It wasn't. It wasn't taboo at all. It was just something mm-hmm. fun that everybody was a part of life. Like drinking Kool Aid was a part of being a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody drank beer, and I didn't have um, a lot of people in my life who were abusing alcohol that I could say. But it was just that their tolerance was very high, and they drank a lot. So when I got to middle school, I experimented with alcohol and would drink like schnapps in the basement at a sleepover and sneak that and get really wasted because that was way different and better in some way than beer. It wasn't like the typical beer because beer was all around and that would have been easy to have. But the sneaky thing to do would be to sneak the harder stuff that the older kids would get for us. And uh, I would say that laid the foundation for a very dysfunctional relationship with alcohol because it was binge every time from the very beginning. There was never any hanging out at a party, having a cocktail, anything like that. It was just like hide it, chug it, get wasted, act stupid, and forget everything that happened, like every time. So doing that on weekends throughout high school definitely developed some type of nasty habit of consciously thinking like this is fun or were you kind of is it hard to remember I just remember that it was expected that's just what Mm -hmm. people did that's just what teenagers were supposed to do to hang out with people that were older cooler um somehow more accepted it just it just made sense to do that I didn't really question it I don't remember wondering if feeling like crap was good for me it just happen it just it just was the way it was and I don't I don't remember caring much that I felt terrible terrible and would go to practices and have to get picked up the next morning from sleepovers just totally shot um my parents didn't ask any questions I don't think they really knew and if they did I don't know if they cared I think they might have thought that was just part of being a kid is trying stuff. I wasn't getting in trouble with the police. I was not getting in trouble with school administrators. I was still playing my sport. I was kind of a standout golfer in high school. And as long as that was going well, everything seemed to be going well. Um, I ended up going to college to play golf. And there was a huge um, culture of keg beer parties in the athletic department with like jocks that where people would have house parties at the tennis house and then there you know the next night there'd be a basketball party so everybody would go to these different houses and just drink as much keg beer as you can and I took that habit I had of just binging every time into like really dangerous situations where I would leave a party by myself pass out in someone's yard like on the other side of town 
I would like pee my pants all the time. I would um, forget that I was even with people that were on my team or who I, were ki I was kind of supposed to stay with my group. Um, people would end up having to babysit me all night and keep tabs on me and ruin their good time. I didn't really feel embarrassed about it. I didn't care. I just totally lost control every time I drank. I never drank a couple beers like some of my teammates did. Some of my teammates would drink a couple beers to meet people, kind of have a, a little bit of a show and tell at the party, and then we'd, we would leave. But I would, in the same amount of time, get completely sloshed. We would be there for 45 minutes and I would have drank like six beers. It's just like thirsty city, just like so thirsty all the time. And, I, and they were like, oh, she's from Wisconsin. She drinks a lot of beer, but it really didn't make sense. It didn't really add up. It was just that my habit was to drink a ton fast. And um, so I had a really, just a disgusting relationship with alcohol. And then um, in the middle of college, I met the person I ended up marrying and he was in a band and we had a lot of late night like sex drugs and rock and roll parties out so i started adding some like experimental drug use to that too and i mean we were at bars all the time so i was just always like drunk when i was with him i didn't really have a lot of times that i wasn't either stoned or drunk with him so it seemed like a good thing at the time because i was feeling accepted and I was feeling like people thought I was fun. He, he was attracted to my like carefree attitude about being able to try to keep up with him as far as drink for drink. Um, in hindsight, of course, that seems totally nonsensical, but it made sense at the time. Um, it got me by. I was going through like a lot of mental health struggles at the time. Um, I was I didn't really realize it at the time, but I was really grappling with my identity and like my sexual identity, and I was really scared. And gaining acceptance from people by keeping up with them with drinking helped me feel like I wasn't different or bad. It helped me feel like seen and known as, as being kind of cool or I could keep up. Um, I managed to keep up my grades and I played okay golf, but I was really always just wishing I didn't have to drink. But then I'd get myself in a social situation where as soon as I got there, I had no rules, no boundaries. It was just full throttle every time. Um, and I did end up marrying Nick, and we started to settle down a little bit. He wasn't in the band anymore, and that just kind of turned into, like, neighborhood friends coming over and drinking and drinking couples. And now we have our couples who we drink with, and everybody has – their little thing going on with, you know, we go over to their house for a barbecue, you bring a side dish and a six pack, side dish and a six pack. Well, that kind of escalated into like some of the guys having hard liquor. I never really was that, I never really got into like drinking hard liquor just because it made me instantly have a headache. I just don't have a taste for it, but I would drink like three times as much beer as my girlfriends and they would just kind of be like, what's up with you? Because I'd pass out on their couch. I mean, at this point I was out of college working a job I just didn't have like stamina for a party life so instead of like leaving the party and becoming a problem child I would just like go sleep in their bed in the middle of a cookout and they'd be like that's not that cool because we're supposed to be like hanging out talking about what it's like to be a newlywed talking about life and like Laura's asleep at 6 30 in the evening so it started to seem a little more dysfunctional to me just the fact that I wasn't like enjoying my friend's company you know, I wasn't running away from a party, but I also wasn't really participating in my life fully. Um, 
And I, I remember thinking when we talked about maybe um, taking up the, the parents and in-laws suggestions that we should start a family, that that might help me like get my act together. It'll help me start taking better care of myself. So even though our kids really weren't planned pregnancies, I remember feeling like okay with the idea of becoming pregnant because I knew it would make me stop misbehaving and it would make me help, help me be a better grown up. So I really embraced pregnancy. Um, we had Natalie and then 18 months later we had Dylan. And so I was like pregnant nursing, pregnant nursing for a good like four years. And I really cleaned up my act. Um, then we went through a move and that was traumatic because I left all my friends and I, and I moved back to Wisconsin and I started drinking with my family more. And that wasn't great. Um, quickly thereafter found out that we were pregnant again by accident because, you know, you can always do crazy things with sex when you're drunk and nobody really thinks twice. Just part of the, part of the fallout of the evening. And um, accidentally got pregnant again, had, had our son. And then the rest of the time that we lived in Wisconsin, I found myself just really looking forward to drinking looking forward to taking the edge off, you know, now I have three kids. Now I have, I live close to my parents and it's stressful. Um, I'm working again part-time. Like I always had excuses of why I needed to start drinking more and I wasn't totally getting drunk every time. But what I found out is that, um, and I've learned a lot from this naked mind about cognitive dissonance and we can talk about that. But what I'm learning is that I had this like huge internal conflict with my identity and what felt right for me. And the reason that I ended up after we had these three kids and I, we knew we were done having kids and Nick had a vasectomy. So my like procreation days were over. I wasn't going to be pregnant again to help me keep my act together. But I really relied on alcohol to have a sex life, mm. you know, and um, it really was some kind of chicken egg thing that I don't fully understand. I'm not really sure what comes first in this one, but like there's a huge shame complex thing going on and like you said in your book alcohol doesn't make us better at the things that we do poorly it just makes us feel less shame about them so I wasn't getting any better in the bedroom as far as like having a rela sexual relationship that felt right for me I just didn't feel ashamed of myself I didn't feel like this is not right I just felt drunk and for me that was enough I mean if I could just be the drunk girlfriend like the old college days when nothing mattered and I'm just like totally lucid and whatever then that's okay. But if we did have sex when I wasn't drunk, which did happen, I would feel so disturbed, like kind of unconsciously or subconsciously, not really like, oh, shoot, I'm gay. I don't really think I should be doing this. This is a bad lie. I should come clean. Not like that. But like, it just bothered me so much on some kind of subconscious level that I would want to like day drink while my kids are in preschool. I would want to um, throw a party. So I could have the social acceptance of everybody getting together to drink. I would volunteer to host baby showers, bridal showers, anything where I could book club. I joined a book club where I always wanted to serve alcohol. Not everybody else did, but I was always kind of like, oh, this will be easier to talk about the book if everybody has a beer. Not true. <laughs> but I would find all these excuses to make it like better you know, not related to sex, but like incorporating alcohol in my life in ways that would just help me to deal with whatever complex emotions I was having about my identity. And I'm not really sure exactly what happened. I definitely had some type of spiritual awakening or something happened. But um, I finally 
reached some type of rock bottom when we moved back to Indiana from Wisconsin about four years ago. I got kind of out of that environment where I had the pressure kind of, it, it was, it's not pressure, it was, it was my inferred pressure, it wasn't implied pressure from my family um, to kind of be the person that I thought they wanted me to be and drink as much as they do on the pontoon and have a good old time. I kind of got out of that environment and met some new people um, who were a little bit more diverse in my community in Indiana. And, you know, alcohol is still a big part of those relationships, but I just didn't feel as though I needed that to fit in with them. And something kind of clicked in my mind where I just kind of started feeling like I am at a spiritual low. I'm at, um, I have some kind of void of spirituality and of self-acceptance. I really loathed myself. I, I didn't like myself at all. I didn't like what I was turning into. I didn't have any ambition to help others or to have a job. I just felt like a nobody. And I was kind of obsessed with drinking craft beer when I could. I mean, it just felt like the only escape that I had at the time. I wasn't really running very much. I would I would skip workouts so that, you know, I could cook a big meal and serve alcohol. Just finding excuses, excuses, excuses. And I definitely reached some kind of rock bottom where I, I, developed, a, I developed faith, first of all. I developed some type of, of relationship with God, and I don't really have a lot of words for that. It just happened. And um, I started thinking of myself as acceptable. Like, I'm an acceptable person. I'm not made bad. And I'm not really into destroying myself. I'm really not into that. I don't stand for that. I wouldn't, as my kids got older, I started to think, I don't want this for them. If they, if they didn't love themselves, I wouldn't want them to destroy themselves with negative self-talk. Um, drinking alcohol, smoking tons of weed. I mean, these are things that I wouldn't want for my kids. So why am I modeling this to them? Even if it's secretly, they're going to find out it's going to carry over in some way. And um, I don't even know if it's, I don't know how it, how it um, correlates with spontaneous sobriety, but there's something to this and I'm, I'm learning about it in your book and I'm not exactly sure. I'm kind of hoping maybe you can help me understand it, but there's something that happened where when I decided I really don't need to ruin myself, I'm not a bad person. There's things about myself that, that could be improved. I'm not perfect, but I don't need to be. And I have to stop hurting myself. Like the decision made itself. I didn't really have to think about it. I just decided I'm no longer going to harm myself with anything that I can control. And I didn't even want to drink anymore. It, it just happened so fast. It just, it, it felt like a miracle at the time because it, I just told people I'm, I'm, I'm done drinking. I don't want to drink anymore. And I didn't feel embarrassed about it. It was the first time I had said something brave and not felt embarrassed about it. And at that same time, um, I decided that, you know, after sleeping on it for like two months and having something bother me about myself, I realized I had to have a conversation with my husband about the fact that I felt like there's something gay about me. There's something about me that doesn't want to drink alcohol. And there's something about me that feels like there's gayness in there. And I feel like a sober person who is drinking and I feel like a straight person who's actually gay. And I don't know what to do about that. And then for a couple of years, we had conversations about what that meant for our relationship and how 
what we're going to do for the future. But during that whole time, which was the most stressful possible thing I can imagine for myself, I know other people go through illness. Um, fortunately, I was healthy at this time. I started working out more and taking better care of my body. But at a time when I would have normally wanted to drink and numb and just feel so empty and just nothing, I felt so alive and I didn't want to drink. So I don't know how that really worked, where I could be so stressed out. And normally, as my former self, I would have constantly been drinking just to escape the pain of what I was putting my family through. As somebody who's coming out after having three kids, I mean, it's crazy. And he drank more and more. And I understand why. I mean, it's super painful. But for me, the need and the desire and any, any like, thoughts of wanting to drink just completely stopped. So I don't know what exactly happened there with, with that internal struggle that I had that um, where my shame about myself and my need to be accepted was wrapped up with, in alcohol, but I think it started pretty young. And I, I, I know that like in my early days, I don't really think that my middle school and high school alcohol use had anything to do with like a sexual identity crisis. I think that started to kind of develop in college but um, something with repression happened, and the only way that I can see that I dealt with the repression was to continue using alcohol to fuel that repression. So there's, a, there's a really big correlation between my alcohol use and um, my mental health state. I mean, every time I was drinking more, the more I was drinking, the worse I was in my life. So... Anyway, that's kind of where I've been. It, that's like a 20-year history there. But um, I'm really, I haven't, I have not been able to understand until I read your book any type of relationship between some kind of epiphany with coming out and stopping drinking. I, it's baffled me. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because there is good data and research. Like there's, there's good studies to say that the trauma with, you know, having to fit in a box when you don't belong in the box <laughs> and making that happen is very intensely traumatic. And, and like, there's not even really good language or especially probably when you were in eighth grade and just binge drinking, like you probably didn't even have language for that. You know, you don't even know what's happening. It's confusing enough to be, you know, going through puberty and to be dealing with all the hormones, but then you're also supposed to fit in this box and, and you don't. And so there's lots of good research to say that, you know, there is higher risk factor um, for like the LGBTQ community just because of the intensity of the emotions that are happening, you know, during that time. So, I mean, that completely makes sense. But then also I think that what's so beautiful about your story is that when you came to this point of like, okay, and it, I, I don't know if it was to do with sexuality or, or if it was to do with alcohol, but I think the core of it was to do with just complete and total acceptance of you, you know, viewing yeah. yourself as someone who is worthy. And um, a lot of times that I talk to people, it's not necessarily about, I think people get really confused where we're, we're trying to find and strive for and learn how to love ourselves. And I think we almost need to do the opposite. We just need to remember because we were born with that. So we just need to undo all the things around that and just like remember. And if you think about remembering, you know, it's not, it's not a process. It can happen absolutely in an instant. You know, you could just, yeah. like, oh, 
I think I that is that is kind of what it felt like. It did feel like remembering. It it felt like remembering something that I've always known, but I forgot for a long time. It 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 felt very similar to that, and I don't know why that would make me be able to stop a bad habit. Um, you can call it addiction, I guess, but I I was dependent on it to preserve my facade but I wasn't dependent on it like in a physical sense because there were times that I'd go weeks without drinking because it was so scary how I had behaved I would be like punishing myself and I would skip social functions and gatherings and stuff because I knew I wouldn't be able to handle myself if I turned myself loose on someone's chili cook-off so there would be times I'd be like we're busy so it wasn't like I was constantly using alcohol but I definitely misused it every time and I just I, I have a I have a hard time just picturing how total self-acceptance and I mean I still struggle with confidence and stuff like that but I know I'm not like made bad to the point that I don't deserve to live um, I don't know how that could make me stop something that seemed very powerful like it it definitely controlled my ability to sleep with somebody like a thousand times that's powerful you know to to let yourself do something that's that hurtful to yourself and now I mean I can go to bars and have a great time with friends I have no interest in it it's not tempting it's not like I think about it it's like that's not for me kind of like heroin's not for me or you know driving nails into my skin isn't for me it's I like some things and I don't like others and that's something that I don't really like because it just is bad for me and I don't know how like self-acceptance on that level of, of like kind of awakening or remembering could turn that off. It's, it's so weird to me that that could happen, but I know there was a decision too. There was like a remembering. And then I did make a decision that said, this is, this has to be forever for me. Cause I did go through maybe a couple of months where I was like, I'm, I'm just done drinking for a while. Thinking forever sounded too long. But then I started thinking about when is, when is there ever going to be a right time for me to continue to feel terrible? When is that ever, you know, if I wake up every day and I say, today I don't want to feel like shit, then is there going to be a day that I wake up and say, today I just want to feel so bad? <laughs> I don't think there will. I mean, what person would want to feel terrible? So I don't know, maybe that's part of it, the decision, like you said in your book about your dad making that conscious choice that it's no longer serving me, I'm letting this behavior go. That's huge, making a conscious decision. Um, and you had so much evidence. I mean, like, as you describe your drinking days, like there wasn't, you know, some people I think really struggle sometimes because they had this romantic time where they just were having a glass of wine on a date here and there. And it oh, was yeah. just, you know, romantic and, um, very minimal and there was no harm. And they're like, I just want that back so bad. Now I know if I have a glass of wine, I drink the whole bottle or two, but I just want that back. But like in your experience, that didn't happen. Like there were, you were times torturing that yourself like from naturally, you know, somebody would pass out a beer or I would go to a restaurant and I wouldn't order six beers. I mean, it would be like the meal and a drink, but I never felt done. I, I didn't feel like that was a good beer. It felt like, where are the other beers? And why are we stopping drinking? Because I'd really just rather sit here and drink and not eat food than try to figure out how to do this like food drink thing. That doesn't make sense. It should be like just chug a lug. And 
I, I always just felt just kind of dissatisfied with anything that was less than like my control of how much I'm drinking and my control being lack of control. It's cool because I, I feel like you, you know, along with that decision, there was all this sort of subconscious data that like, okay, so even if I just have a beer, I don't feel good about it. If I have six, I don't feel good about it. There's nothing like you just, it was so clear to you at some level um, that it just wasn't good for you anymore. You know, I, I feel, yeah. I felt the same way. Like I looked back and it was very intentional and I looked back and similar to when you say, you know, when would be a good day to do this? I was like, yeah, maybe it will be for a while. And then I was, it was just like, wait, I know how this story ends. Like I know where this right. goes. <laughs> like there's not, there's not any good reason to do it. And I think that's, it, it's such, it's so cool because when that, when that happens, when you finally just see it so clearly and so true, then there isn't a lot of temptation around it. You know, it's just really this, okay, well that, that was yeah. one phase of my life, like living in, you know, London. And now this is the new phase of my life. I'm not living in London anymore. And that's okay. Right. I'm not upset about and that. The lesson that I have taken away, and I don't want to make this like a coming out story, but this for me, there was no moral conflict with when I realized my true nature and what's going on with me and who I am as a person. And this is the way I'm going to live my life. It wasn't a question of like, you know, should I, should I stick it out and be a platonic wife and um, not divorce Nick and just try to make the best of it and compromise and it wasn't like I left for somebody. I didn't have a moral conflict with that because in my mind, I could very clearly see a path of the right thing to do. I don't know where the outcome is. I don't know where that path goes. But in the fork in the road, I could see that this, this was the right thing to do. And the only thing before I read your book that I could kind of rationalize is that for me, not drinking is the right thing to do. It's like the morally acceptable way for me to live. Because I can't be a good parent doing the stuff that I was doing. The last time I remember getting trashed is, um, a, like I said, a chili cook-off. And everybody's supposed to eat chili and have a beer, a beer or maybe two, because all, all of our little kids were there. 20 kids, maybe under 10, are running around playing. And we we're, have a little fire pit in the driveway. Everybody's supposed to be eating in, in that. I didn't eat any food. I drank heavily for an hour. I drank like three or four beers in an hour. I ended up passing out on the living room floor where the kids were playing. And a, my friend who lived there covered me up with a blanket and told them I wasn't feeling well. I needed to take a nap. They're like sitting on me while they play video games. Just that is not the version of myself that I'm willing to live with. I mean, I just can't be doing that kind of stuff ever, ever again. Because I know that, I don't know if they remember it, but I know that it wasn't right. It was, it was wrong. It, it wasn't right for them. I wasn't able to respond to anything that happened. If one of them would have gotten hurt or something right then, I was completely blacked out. Just gone. And then I woke up um, many hours later, and one of my friends was still up. And um, we ended up having like a heart-to-heart -heart about some stuff, and I ended up telling him about what I was kind of going through. And he was just completely shocked, but very sympathetic. And he's had his own issues with alcohol and continues to have issues with alcohol. But he really thought the best way to handle it would be like to have a drink. Well, I got to have a drink now. And I started realizing, even though I was still drunk, 
I had woken up, I started realizing even at that moment, like, I can't, I can't, I can't believe that just happened. I passed out with all these kids playing around me and now I'm awake and I'm in a situation where the way that my social circle wants to deal with what I'm telling you about my internal struggle is to drink more and this is it. Like, this is really it. And then I had like one more time that I hung out with my friends where I had a couple of drinks and I started just really, really, really not liking myself and having some kind of scary thoughts almost, like some dark thoughts about how bad I am for doing this, knowing this isn't the right thing to do. I'm doing something wrong. And that was it. Like I tried after I had decided how bad this was for me and I didn't like drinking anymore. I tried it like one more time and it felt like ethically impossible like I felt like I was doing something scary bad you know I was hurting myself at that point now I've decided I'm hurting myself so now here I am hurting myself for fun and it just it just is it hasn't been the same since it's not it's not even about the possibility of having a good time with a little bit of booze in me or beer it's not like that anymore it's like I know that I'm poisoning myself if I'm drinking and I just I don't stand for that. That's not what I believe is right. So I don't know. It's, it's pretty weird. That's awesome. I love it. I think that, I mean, I remember that too, of just these moments of like, okay, I knew, I knew in my heart and I, I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not a big music person. Like I love music, but I'm tone deaf and I can't really, but it, there's this image that's coming to me of like that moment where you're trying to harmonize with somebody or something. And like, the voices almost sound like the same because you've mm-hmm. hit the right chord. And I feel like that's what happened is like you, you just hit it and you're like, Oh, I hear that. That's a true note in my life. Like this is yeah. a true note, like who I am. And great analogy. Who I am with alcohol. This is true. And now I can't play out of tune because I can't hear that anymore because it sounds yeah. awful. It sounds horrible. And then when I try to play out of tune, when I try to go into, um, you know, even, playing with that like I just know that I'm ruining the song you know yeah totally yeah I agree with you and I think there's just something about knowing that you have a future without this as a part of your life and being able to accept that you don't know what that looks like but you don't need to have the crutch of something that's going to make all the bumps and bruises feel a little bit better because it's, you feel the pain a little bit deeper when you can't numb. It's, it's true, but it makes you so much stronger. Like when you experience loss and heartache and heartbreak and sadness and worry and anxiety and all the human emotions that we get to experience as sober people, when you get to experience those, they're so fortifying and they're so much more um, empowering than going through those same things, but kind of half volume, like when you've turned down the volume on those things. Um, and I don't know, I have, I have at this point, I'm so unattached to my future. I don't even know what I'm doing next week. Um, because I don't feel like I need the control that I used to have. I used to feel like I needed to control all the strings, like the puppeteer of my life. And I kind of, for lack of better, um, cliche, gave it back to God and decided you know, I'm really not in control of a lot of this, but the things that I am in control of, like putting alcohol in my body, I can, I can help out with that. Like I can take on the responsibility of keeping my body clean. I can't control what goes on beyond that. Like 
crazy stuff's going to happen and it's going to hurt and it's going to suck sometimes and it's going to be like sad and I'm going to feel frustrated, but I'm going to get so much stronger from going through it sober. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. That's, that's a gift in and of itself that you actually get to grow from your own life versus just like shrinking down, down, down. I heard recently um, one of a definition of self-confidence that I really liked. And the definition was knowing that you can face any emotion and you'll be okay. Yep. I've, and it's like, awesome. if you have that in yourself, if you know, like no matter what happens, you're not going to run from it. You're not going to numb it and you're going to be okay. Like I was like, Oh, that really resonates with me. That's, you know, because that, that puts it on something like, yeah, I don't think self-confidence is thinking you're, you know, the coolest thing since sliced bread. It's really just knowing like, okay, I'm going to be okay with me. You know? Yeah. And to that point, I've gotten comfortable with people saying, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, I'm just okay. I'm just okay. Like, I'm not going to tell you it's going great because I'm not feeling all of, you know, there'd be times that I would just, Oh, everything's fine. Knowing that I would have this cushion to drown myself in that would make it feel fine. I was basically saying, you know, Oh, I'm not great right now, but around five o'clock, I'm going to feel really good. So I'm going to say I'm good because big picture with, with beer as my constant companion, I'm going to be fine. But now I'm like, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody I'm doing awesome because I'm struggling emotionally a lot with just like guilt of putting my kids through a divorce, but I'm okay. And I'm just okay. Like, and sometimes I'm not okay. And that's all right too, to be not okay. It's just that you have to be comfortable dealing with those not okay emotions in a way that's still healthy and not harmful. Yeah. That's but, so cool. Yeah. Being not okay is not scary to me anymore. It's just part of the, of the yin and yang. Because everything was always okay before. It was always great. Because even if I felt terrible, I could make it not terrible artificially. Mm -hmm. You know, I could easily just take that away. And the kids were whiny and I could just have a drink while I'm making supper. And it would get me through a half an hour. But then I didn't want to stop drinking. And I'd be really frustrated because I had like, a litany of things I needed to do in the evening and I couldn't be drunk for that. So I'd be really annoyed and frustrated and I would have to just postpone my third beer until the kids were in bed and then fine. Finally I can have three, four five. And then now I'm drunk. Now I'm accidentally getting pregnant again. And just uh, like, it's just a cycle of misuse. But if you're willing to be uncomfortable, you know, like that with the uncertainty of what's ahead, it's pretty easy to not use, I think. I mean, it's not easy for everybody, but you have to be okay with stuff sucking really bad and hurting really bad. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like getting a tattoo. If you think it's going to feel good, it's not. It's going to hurt really badly, but you got to remember you wanted that. And if you want to be sober, it won't hurt as bad as if you don't want it, you know? That's, I kind of thought of that yesterday because I got a tattoo yesterday and I thought, if I didn't want this, this would hurt really, really badly. But I want this. I'm paying somebody to do this to me and it hurts really badly. But that's how life is when you're not drinking. Like things hurt more sometimes, but you want it because you want to be healthy and you want to be present for your family. And you want to be proud of yourself. So it doesn't hurt as bad, you know? 
it doesn't hurt as bad as if you had to feel sorry for yourself and feel ashamed of yourself. Yeah. Cause there's really, there's really no worse feeling than shame. I'm a believer. I mean, it's, it's the rock bottom feeling is being ashamed and Absolutely. the stuff we do when we're drunk, when we're way drunk is just, just like shame fuel. It just fuels shame. So, so much like nothing else, you know, the idea of having done something you can't remember is shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's like my definition of it. I did something I can't remember. And I don't even have, it doesn't have to be bad. I mean, maybe I didn't hurt anybody. Maybe I didn't even make an off color comment. Maybe I just don't remember what happened. That's a very shameful feeling because mm-hmm. it's, it's something that um, we had the ability to prevent and we didn't, allow, we didn't prevent it. We allowed that to happen. Yeah, it's like being given this human body with this autonomy and this will and this desire and then saying, okay, fine, I don't want it. Give it back. Give yeah. my will away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, feels very, very contrary and negative to who we're meant to be because we are meant to take our will and use it for something, you know, That's useful. awesome. Yeah, possible. I love that. Yeah, anytime you shirk responsibility, you don't feel good about that. And when you, when you get wasted, you're really not taking responsibility for your consciousness. Absolutely. You could kill somebody and not even be able to justify. Not even know it happened. Yeah, not know what happened. Um, yeah. So reading your book helped me so much in just understanding my own internal struggle with, with doing something. In this case, I feel as though had kind of a two edge, a double-edged sword kind of because I had like an identity crisis happening and a relationship with alcohol that were completely like a nightmare of symbiosis, just, fe- just feeding each other, just awful. Um, but I didn't really understand that the brain reacts the way it does to a person doing something they don't want to be doing. I didn't mm-hmm. get that. And I, I really um, am so glad that I just actually, you know, utter imperfection. Mm-hmm. Do you know that, that um, her, she has a Facebook presence. I found her book. She goes by utter imperfection. But um, she recommended your book about a month ago and um, said that it had been really super helpful to her. And I thought it sounded good. And then all of a sudden, my sister, what am, I have three sisters my sister had stopped drinking for 90 days by using your book. And I didn't even know that it had anything to do with that book. And she visited and said, you know, Oh, I read that book. It's helped me so much. I thought she was just like on a cleanse because she had kind of diminished the foreverness of it because she wasn't really sure which direction it was going. And she just went on a big road trip where she was with her old drinking buddies and she didn't drink for two weeks. I mean, she's now probably at like a hundred days and she gave your book so much credit. Hi, Carolyn. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, but it was, such a, it was such a God thing to me that like I found this book on this new Facebook person I followed. It was like the first post of hers I'd ever seen. And um, then, you know, two weeks later, my sister's telling me this book helped her stop drinking. And I was like, you know what? I have something to learn here. And I didn't really feel like I had to dig in too hard either. That's what I loved about your book. I didn't really have to like, put aside any preconceived notions. I didn't have to undo any, any programming that I had really received. It just was like, oh, that's what was going on. Yeah. I had like a clinically known thing happening inside my brain that 
kept me scared and kept me afraid and kept me desperate, desperate for something that would help me feel better. And it's unfortunately socially acceptable to use that every day. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, well, well what a story. Thank you so much, Laura, yeah. for sharing all that. It's Thank just you for your insight. Such a gift. I wish you could be my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> I want to have coffee. I think this is, we could talk all day. It's really fun. But have a, I just wish you the best. And, thank you. Uh, just thank you. I mean, it's just such a, it's such a cool and courageous story. And I, well, thank you. Very, I think it's the, I think it's the responsible decision to make. And I think anybody who wants it, just like anybody who wants to get in great shape or wants to get a new job or wants to forge a new career, anybody who wants it can do it. I really think they can. I, I'm a believer that, um, if the desire is there, then the, the work will not seem impossible. Yep. It's like that. Um, I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, once you make a decision, the universe conspires to make it happen. You know, and I think that's, that's so awesome. true. Once I just got chills. Make that desire, make that intention. I want something different. And I think that's true for anybody listening to this, like, okay, well, I don't know. It feels so far away. I remember at certain times feeling like I was at the bottom of a pool and you know, the, the destination was all the way up there and it was so far away and I was never going to get to the surface and it just felt so impossible. But I think once you just decide, even if it's the smallest decision of like, I just want to be there someday, I do think things start to happen um, in your life and with the people you love to really help to make that happen for you. You're right. You're definitely right about that. It's kind of magical. Well, thank you for giving me this venue to share. You're awesome. I love your book. And I'm really thankful that it came into my life in the way that it did at this time. It helped me a lot. It gave me some closure. Good. I'm so yeah. glad. I'm yeah, so me glad. too. All right. Well, All right. have a great day. You too. Thank you for your time. <laughs> All right. Bye, Laura. Bye. Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. This free 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You remember it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, the version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or to have a good time and is having more fun than ever. And again, this is a totally free challenge that will change everything for you. So learn more and join me 100% free at thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.